um, as you read, along with Simon there, I'm certain uh, that there were things uh, within that text that made you scratch your head, and uh, that uh, either you're very excited to look into, to dive into, to be explained, hopefully, uh, or in fear and trepidation, you come to a passage like this and go, I've not got a clue. Um, wherever you are on that spectrum. Let's see what God's Word has to say to us today. Now and again, I find myself in an airport uh, departure lounge usually, but sometimes um, if I'm early for a flight uh, or if I'm waiting for a connection or waiting for, um, for somebody else uh, at the final destination, I hang around the arrivals lounge. Have you been there? Have you seen what goes on? Have you seen the utter joy on people's faces as they come through the gate finally and see a loved one waiting for them? Have you watched the emotion in the embrace? It's quite something. Spend 10 minutes next time you're in an airport and watch how people greet each other. You get to see what people do as a result of who they are. Let me say that again. You get to see what people do, the embrace, the hug, the handshake, the, handshake, the gentle word or the big loud congrats. You get to see what people do because it comes out of who they are, part of their identity in meeting family member, in understanding where they come from, where their heart is, in welcoming someone, or saying hello to someone. And here in 1 Peter, here's the deal, it's too big for us. Peter's saying, this is what God's people do, let's have a look to see what God's people do. And it's because of who God's people are. You see that? This is what God's people do in the first part of the reading because this is who God's people are. What God's people do comes out as a result of who they are. And Peter's got a focus shift on. He's changed gears. Remember last week? It was all about the future. Peter can't get enough of it. Here's our internal inheritance and it awakes us. And it will not perish, it will not spoil, it will not fade. So to a people in exile, a people who do not have home, a people who are in suffering, two weeks ago, we looked at that from the very first verses of 1 Peter. The future really matters. This is where you're headed. But now Peter changes Gear. Now, instead of keep looking at the future, it's all about today. It's all about the now. This is what God's people will do today. And there is, it's a result of who God's people are. Look at verse 22. The first verse. And verse 10. You get that. See the word now? Now. Today. Here and now. Now that you are purifying yourself by, by obeying the truth. And then look at 2 verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now. Today. Here and now. This is Peter's thrust in this section. 
This is what God's people do today, here and now, because this is who God's people are today, here and now. So let's deep dive into this first point. This is what God's people do. And it's picked up in verse 22, and also in the first verse of chapter 2. They're the focus verses, verse 22, and in the first verse of chapter 2. Let me read verse 22 for us again. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Look what love is. This is what God's people do now. They're identified by the physical outworking of the way that they love. See, the bond that unites all Christians together is they journey towards this future inheritance. I spent the first chapter, chunk of that chapter looking at. Look, this is the bond that unites God's people together on that journey. It's love. If you see verse 21, just look back with me. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. And now the outworking of that faith and hope in God is love for others. Love for God's people. Faith and hope are the inward workings of God-centeredness. And love is the outward working. It's the bond that unites us. See what that obedience to the truth has enabled you to do. Like a purification process has taken place. Last night we had fajitas. My trademark did. Can't go far wrong with fajitas, can you? Here's what happens with fajitas. Knife into the chicken. Slice it up, you know, pretty fast. Experienced chef that I have. Straight, straight through it. Now, do I use another knife for the peppers and the onions? Or do I purify? Do I clean the knife that I've used? I must. I must do either one. To use that knife again uh, on, on, the, on the vegetables, not recommended. So what I do is I clean the knife. I scrub it clean. And here, verse 22, look. Now that you have purified yourself, It's what obedience to the truth has enabled me to do. I've been obedient to the truth. And now, a purification process is taking place. Like that knife being cleaned. And it means that I have sincere love. It's like that's the clear knife. Sincere love. And with that sincere love, we can love one another deeply. From the heart. Here's the outworking. The bond. The means we're on the journey together. It's love. This is what God's people do. And you know the word love here? It's brotherly love. It means love at full stretch. It means love when you extend yourself further than you previously have. 
See, Peter helps the believers, scattered, exiles without a hope, to understand what this deep love looks like. So go to verse 1 of chapter 2. This is the outworking of this love. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. And the word there is rid yourself. It's, it's root out. It's weed out. It's pull out. So let your love be at full stretch. Extend it further than you have done as you weed out, root out these things, malice, deceit. Hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Take a moment. Which one or which few of these words describe you or could describe you? Perhaps when the door's closed. No one else is around apart from a friend or a partner. Malice. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. I have to look in the mirror. It's still there. It's still there. And you see Peter saying, now the purification process, it continues. It continues like the knife. I've got to clean it before I go again. How is your love for the people at Town Church at full stretch? Are you extending it further than you ever have done? Are you rooting out such thoughts of people? Perhaps people around you now. Perhaps the couple sitting in front. Or the person beside. Or the people behind. Perhaps you've had such thoughts. More than likely, a year and a bit in, as we're journeying together towards the inheritance that gloriously awaits us, the devil will have his way. Where does malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander towards others in town church take root? Root them out, says Peter to the people who are in exile. Could mean radical changes for you. Could mean looking at your priorities in life. Extend like you've never extended before, says Peter. With your time, with your money. Perhaps more simply, just root out those thoughts. Rid yourself of them, root them out. Love Peter, he doesn't hold back pull his punches he just goes for it this is what God's people do end of fact town church we are God's people so what does it look like what does it look like to have a love for each other there's the first sub-point uh, of the first point. This is what God's people do. Here's the second thing. Um, if the first thing is in, God, in what God's people will do, a love for each other, here's the second thing. A love for God's word. See that, verse 23 to 25, and then verses 2 and 3 of the second chapter. Let me read again. 
just to make sure that we're on track. Read with me uh, if your Bible's open. Verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is what God's people do. They've got a love for God's word. You see that? And because they've been born again, it's back to verse 3 on your cards of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's saying, remember, you've been born again. You've been born again, and a reference again, that of perishable things, to those that are imperishable. Remember last week, if you were with us, the perishable things. You were not bought with these things, says Peter. You weren't bought with silver or gold that are perishable, but you were bought with the imperishable blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the language again. It's one of gardening, imperishable seed. It's that that's given us new birth into a living hope. This is what God's people do. They've got a love for God's word. And why shouldn't they? Says Peter as he quotes from Isaiah 40. Look, all people are like grass, he says. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. See, if you're born again, look what God's word is. You see that? You're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And how has this happened? Through the living word of God. Peter says, this is it. This is what God's people do. You've got a love for God's word because you understand what God's word has done. It has completely transformed you. It's given you new birth. Gordon Banks, famous England goalkeeper, died this week. What a life. What an incredible player. For those of you with even the remotest interest of football, you remember that iconic save from Pele in 1966 World Cup. Well, do you know what? Most of you won't remember that, so I don't know why I've said that. But down he goes to his right and he tips it around a post, and the crowd and the players can't believe. Gordon Banks. People are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. Gordon Banks in bloom. And then the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter reminds them, this is the word that was preached to you. See there? This is the word that was preached to you. It's the gospel of God. It endures forever. It's not perishable. It isn't around like a flower of the field that blossoms and then is gone. No, the word of the Lord is forever. Well, what do we do with it? Well, this is what we do with it. Look, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. 
crave it, long for it, cherish it. Here's the picture. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's the picture that Peter uses. This is what God's people do. They love God's word and he's saying, love it by craving it. Like a newborn baby. Have you ever heard a baby cry for milk? It's not just a whimper. Trust me. It's not just a a cry and then silence and then a little cry again. It's a wail. Wail on and on and on until they get what they're looking for. Their mother's milk. Crave it. Long for it. Cherish it. A baby desires nothing else in that moment but milk. And Peter's saying, because you're God's people, this is what you do too. So can I ask, are you yearning after God's word? Is it like milk to a newborn baby to you? Look what it does. By it, you will grow in your salvation. You will grow in Christ. You become more of who you are. You've tasted that the Lord is good. Taste more continues to transform you. And Peter drives it into the context of those living in ignorance of God and his word. Lives that are characterised by futility and emptiness. Chasing after the, the latest idea that brings happiness. He's contrasting that because of the context he's speaking into with the living and enduring word of God. It's imperishable seed. It's permanent and its effect has eternal consequences. You know why at Town Church we prioritise God's word? It's a key value for us. We try and preach it expository, book by book, verse by verse. We believe that that's how God speaks through the author that penned it. We want to try and understand the author's intent, which is why we'll deep dive into verses and work out exactly what they mean. We'll pour over it in small groups. The ladies will meet on a Thursday morning. They'll get the Bible open and they'll study it. We encourage each other to read it personally. Can I ask how you're doing in that? Do you have notes that might help you? Are you following a plan? Not because you have to, but because like a newborn baby... You desire to, you crave to, you yearn for it because you know what it will do. Speak to me after, would you? If you don't know where to start in opening the Bible and reading it, you're confused with where to go or there's so many books and Bible study notes to help you, please speak to me afterwards. I'd love just to help you start. Get on the right track. And then cherish it, crave after it, yearn for it. Peter says that is what God's people do. A love for each other and a love for God's word. First big point, second point. Second of two. So we're on the home straight. Look at who 
God's people are. This is what God's people do. We've looked at a love for each other, a love for God's word. And God's people do that because of who they are. This is a wonderful view of our identity being wrapped up in God-centeredness. So let's go. Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Think now you're in exile. You've been scattered. There are a couple of Christians here and a bunch of Christians there and and some that you know of over there. And you get hold of what Peter's written uh, and you read it within your group for the very first time. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, of course he's talking about Jesus. As you come to Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He's saying, here is the Lord Jesus. And later on, look how you're connected with him. Chosen by God. Look, the sovereignty of God is the backdrop to all that Peter writes. Precious. So dear to him as his son was so dear to him. The living stone. And then he talks about them as individuals. The living stone here means your living stones here. Verse 5, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at the emphasis, it's a God who's doing the building. He's the master architect. And it's his first job to lay down the foundations, to lay the cornerstone, to lay Jesus Christ down. And then he builds. And then God builds his house. Peter again dives back into the Old Testament. Isaiah 28, 16, verses 6 to 8. Look. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Here's Jesus, the centerpiece. He's the cornerstone of faith. Remember, Peter's already said, this is what God's people do. And the reason why they do that is because of who they are, living stones. Living stones because they're built around and on top of the cornerstone. Can you imagine scattered persecution? Wouldn't such experiences suggest that God had failed in building his church? No, on the contrary. Peter is saying such behavior, 
persecution, scattering. Such behavior fits in with God's eternal design. Look, some appointed for honor and others appointed for shame. And this is how it works as people respond in either faith or obedience or disobedience to Jesus through God's word. So God's eternal plan is being revealed. He's the cornerstone for God to build his church or he's the stumbling block. He's the one on whom people will fall. At the end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message. Which is also what they were destined for. Sometimes God's word is hard to stomach. It's hard to take in. Because it seems to suggest that God appoints, appoints some for shame. It seems to suggest right at the end there in verse 8 that they stumble. And it's also what they were destined for. What do we do with God's word when it hurts? When it, it makes our head hurt? How could God appoint some to stumble? That's what they were destined for, says Peter. Oh, really hard when we come to God's sovereignty and salvation. And here's the key thing, and Peter brilliantly weaves this. Listen, God is sovereign. And for some, it will be the cornerstone in which God will build the church around. And for some, it will be the stone on which others will fall. God is sovereign, and yet it never, never, ever undermines human responsibility. In obedience or disobedience to him. God is building his temple with people. He's building his church. Are you a part of it? You see, it depends on whether you respond to Christ through his word. What an impact this has on those scattered far away from Jerusalem. There's not a temple in the local village. What an impact on these individuals. Gentile converts. Peter's saying, it's not about the physical temple. You are the temple. You are the people of God. And perhaps they're tempted to feel second class. Tempted to feel ashamed about trusting in Jesus. You are what God is building. His people. His body. His temple. You are a chosen people. Peter goes on in verse 9. Yes, yes, you're living stones. And you're living stones that God is building, putting together, building his church. Because look who you are. Look who you are. You're a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Bang, here it is. Understand who you are, dear Christian, in exile. Scattered. This is who you are. And this is crucial for us today. In a world and a culture 
where it seems that identity now is something that we're able to create. And, and that involves position in society, status, it can involve sexuality, relationships. See what the Bible says about identity? It, 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 it's just really quite simple. Your identity is all about, and it's all in relation to your status before God. You're either dead or you're alive. You're a believer or you're an unbeliever. You're in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're in the light or you're in darkness. That is what the Bible calls identity. Your status before God, because He made you. You can't create your identity. You can spin all you want, which is what we're encouraged to do in society, isn't it? Spin your identity. Spin it so that you look better, perhaps, than you really are. It's how we get by. But the Bible says this is your identity. This is it. You're either in one of two camps, all taken from a passage in Exodus. Chosen people. Peter's message constant throughout. You're a people who've been plucked out, removed from darkness and sin, now into light and free from sin. A royal priesthood. It was the priest who, with all the responsibility, was the mediator between God and man. And now he says, no, 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 we're all a royal priesthood together. All with responsibilities. All with gifts and abilities. Not one set aside now to be mediator. For the Lord Jesus is the one who mediates between the Father and his children. A holy nation. You're seen as righteous in the eyes of a holy God. That is your identity, dear Christian. Righteous in the eyes of a holy God. And you're his special possession. Oh, he loves you. Night like no else. He loves you like he loves his son. You're his special possession. Are you tempted to look at what you do or do things that, that form your identity? Your position at work? Perhaps with your performance for your figures in February? Perhaps with your children? Is that where you place your identity, how your children are doing, behaving, knowing Jesus or not? You're tempted to listen to what people are saying about you, school or in the workplace. Is it that that forms who you are, your identity? No, no, no. If you're in Christ, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy before him. You're his special possession. He dearly loves you. There's nothing that can change that. Let's wrap this up. Do you know what? This is what God's people do. Love for each other. Love for God's word. Because of who they are. Who they've been made. It's all what God has done. Complete transformation. New birth. Living hope. And what's the ultimate purpose? 
Do you see that in verse 9? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may declare the praises of him. That is now your ultimate purpose, dear Christian. That you appraise God with every aspect of life. Moment by moment decision making. Not just praising verbally as we sing songs. As you love each other. As you love his word. As you go into work tomorrow, as you do your fifth nappy of the morning, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Praise God, we've been transformed. And if you haven't, or you don't think you have, do business. Speak to me, sigh, Johnny, they're around. Don't keep living out your current identity, dead, in unbelief, in darkness. Trust in Jesus for a new identity that can never, ever perish, spoil or fade. We're going to sing a song that celebrates this now. We're going to have family communion uh, in a moment, but let's uh, stand if we're able to sing of the wonder of this new identity brought about by God's word through the Lord Jesus who died and rose again, which means our eternity is absolutely secure. Death, where is your sting? Say the words of this song. It has no sting because of what Christ has done. Let's stand if you're able and sing these words together.